Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. During this month of February 2024, we are having a series of discussions about digital technology and AI in the run-up to an event that the Foundation is holding on the 28th of February in London. This week, I'm joined by Melanie Garson, who is Cyber Policy and Tech Geopolitics Lead at the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change, as well as an Associate Professor in International Conflict Resolution and International Security at University College London. Melanie Garson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So before we dive into AI, can we start with a, a very brief introduction to the Tony Blair Institute for those listening who are not familiar with it? Well, the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change is an organization that is now located in close to 34 countries globally. We're at about 900 people and we work closely with government on strategy, policy and delivery with tech enabling all three of those. So it's very much looking at how to work with leadership for them to achieve their goals for their countries and particularly with their country's digital futures. And you are cyber policy and tech geopolitics lead at the Tony Blair Institute. What does that actually mean? And what are you and the Institute doing in this whole area of cyber policy specifically? Um, yes, yeah, so, well, it, it's a very wide remit, as it sounds. So for I take a very broad interpretation of cyber, which is everything that involves our connectivity. And that would go from satellites down to subsea cables to everything that runs on top of it and making sure that that's secure and fit for purpose for everything that is running uh, throughout uh, governments, throughout uh, society within it and making sure that it's equally accessible. So that includes uh, thinking about uh, the geopolitics that underpinned all those and where they could be threats to the system from uh, geopolitical rivalries in particular. And how do we counter those to some extent through measures like building tech diplomatic capacity or making sure that um, there's access to infrastructure? Practically in the Institute, that can include everything from working with our governments who are on their cyber journeys and thinking about the, the policy elements of that. How do they build um, their cyber strategies, good cyber governance, similar with uh, AI policies and also what would be the foundations of um, building what I call tech forward foreign policy, building, uh, adapting their uh, foreign policy as it is today and how they teach foreign policy to their rising diplomats so that um, countries are able to have a voice at the table on these global tech conversations. So you said an interesting phrase in your answer there, which uh, just sparked my interest, which was tech diplomatic capacity. And uh, let's just explore that. I guess what you're saying is that from both a sort of a, a domestic and foreign policy capability there's a sort of a lack of understanding and awareness is 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 that is that right uh, absolutely i think and i think it's not to be confused with the term because sometimes we hear the term digital diplomacy and that's very much about thinking about how uh foreign services use twitter in mm -hmm. as part of their account but tech diplomacy is really thinking about there's all sorts of conversations that now happen in the diplomatic field that are inextricably interlinked 
to facilitating our digital lives that aren't always accounted for. So little conversations are actually hugely significant in the back rooms of the Internet Governance Forum that are talking about Internet standards that mm. are absolutely pivotal for the free and open interoperable Internet that we're building everything on top of aren't always accounted for. And then when we begin to think about other conversations that perhaps we would necessarily put into perhaps trade, so thinking about obviously the big one in the news has been chips or sort of access to chips where we think about those as more trading agreements, but those are underpinning, again, the tech infrastructures that we're seeking to build. And what hasn't been happening to date is really thinking from a foreign policy standpoint of how these all slot together and having the optics holistically of all those conversations and what that means then for what your foreign policy is where you're building both, you know, from both projecting power, whether this is a source of soft power for you, how you work with this as a country or how you use this as leverage across your uh, relationships with other countries. The other side of tech diplomacy is also the extent that it represents your economic interests um, abroad. So the first tech diplomats were situated in San Francisco and Denmark was the first country to do that as a way of linking with the tech ecosystem and advocating for homegrown products and creating those linkages for their own entrepreneurial system within the wider tech industry. So lots of moving parts to mm. this, but mm. certainly something all countries should have optics on. That is really interesting. So we've just been talking about soft power. I want to bring you briefly into hard power. And, and I know that amongst many other things, you actually uh, teach about conflict in the digital age. And, you know, what are some of the implications of AI uh, and digital tech in conflict? And these could be potentially good or bad, I guess. Uh, yeah, and exactly. It's, you know, these element of dual use technology is that it can be, you know, dual use, I guess, in two sense, where we think about civil military, whether we think about for good or nefarious purposes. And from my point, any of these emerging and disruptive technologies, and very much how I teach about it, is a bit of an open door. They're a tool, and they basically accelerate or intensify any processes we would have in place. You know, in fact, man starts war. AI doesn't start war. AI is a tool that we could use uh, to either accelerate or intensify elements of conflict or resolve it or manage it better. And it comes across the spectrum of all those elements. So on one side, you know, the big, you know, scare story is often autonomous weapons and the sort of... Uh, the, you know, robots in the field and not having humans on the loop and, you know, robots killing everybody uh, without uh, any human decision-making power and the morals and ethics of that, as well as the practicalities. On the other side, we see it with hugely valuable um, applications if we think about integrating AI into disaster relief uh, as part of a conflict of whether drones can easily UAVs can easily deliver we've seen it vaccinations medical relief disaster relief in places that are inaccessible so this in Ukraine after the floods where you can deliver things as equally as they can be used as, as equally as they can be weaponized whether we look at um, advances in battlefield medicine and how 
you know, AI-enabled techniques and connectivity can change the shape of that. So there's always two sides of how we can think about it. And then underneath all that, when particularly think about AI, is then the sort of geopolitical rivalries on the structures that enable that type of connectivity. So this is where uh, we think about the cyber attacks on key information infrastructure that would enable um, any of these processes to work. So if you're, even if you're working with disaster relief drones, if you're facing electronic jamming of that kind of infrastructure, then we're taking the conflict to a different space. And so you've just been talking about, uh, if you like, um, electronic attacks, but uh, we were both at a, a round table recently uh, and you were talking a little bit actually about um, the physical infrastructure for cyber uh, and what that means. And, and we're talking things about undersea cables, for instance, uh, and the need for resilience. Um, just just explore this a little bit for me. What are some of the issues here? And what needs to happen that, that isn't really happening at the moment? Yeah, and um, you're right at that third table. It's, it is one of my deep concerns in the global conversations that we've been having about AI and generative AI and existential risk of AI, which is just such a narrow, you know, it's really the tip of the iceberg. And under, underneath it is, as you've said, is all these facilitating structures uh, on which it runs, including our, our, you know, our cable network, our subsea cable network. 95% of the global internet traffic runs through this very complex sort of set of cables that run under the sea that are like, you know, sort of strip fiber optics and rainbows of, you know, uh, cables are filled with rainbow light. And, and they are both at risk from malicious interference as well as general human interference as from shipping traffic um, etc. And, and environmental events. So, you know, Tonga in 2022, um, a sort of volcano tsunami took out their subsea cable. They were without the internet for five weeks. Mm. And whilst they had, well, it took five weeks for it to be repaired. They had some then limited satellite uh, connectivity. But we can look at those real weak points in our resilience. And uh, one of you know the concerns in the Middle East right now. One of my concerns in the Middle East, when we begin to integrate this with geopolitics, and is that there's some key cables running through the Bab el-Mandeb Straits. The Houthis have made railed threats on sort of well, not to build quite open threats on various telegram forums, saying that you know let's send the West back to the Dark Age. They're very aware that this is running through mm. their system. Could they cut the connectivity? And then you think, well, okay, well, what would that do for them? They wouldn't be able to connect. If we match that with about 10 days ago, Iran launched three satellites into space, right, all simultaneously. Now, if Iran is went to do their counter to, in effect, Starlink, what happened to Tonga when they went offline? Starlink jumped in. What happened in Ukraine? When the Russians jammed by a sap, Starlink jumps in. If the Iranians are putting their same, their version of that, that would give connectivity to two, um, Houthis and themselves to continue their activities whilst we're all on a back foot, that's a serious weak point. And that infrastructure is underpinning all the AI we talk about. And so I think these questions of 
physical, cyber-physical resilience are super, super significant and not being discussed enough. So I certainly agree with that. One of the things that uh, sort of comes out of the example from Tonga that you mentioned um, is the fact that for some countries, they have an awful lot of infrastructure. And as there's international conversations, those conversations are, are, are dominated by the big and, and powerful countries. Uh, but there are countries that don't have much of a voice in these kind of international conversations. Uh, so how do we how do we make sure they have a voice? And, and if you like, what what's the danger if they don't? Uh, what, what could happen if, if we don't get this right? It's a key problem because it's often very difficult to have a voice in global governance conversations on elements of technology that you don't yet have, where it's not become pertinent or relevant and in the spectrum of the very, very many things governments have to uh, think about in any given day. If it's not got an immediate relevant, immediate benefit, then it's um you know it's it's worrying it you know it doesn't have you know how do you decide to allocate what is scarce resources to this picture so and that's why we see countries um either you know not participating and then eventually as we've seen in other arenas of global governance there becomes a resistance to what could be perceived as a form of if you want uh colonialist mindset on the governance where you've not had a chance to but if we're talking about big questions of uh global governance of ai and the ethics and principles that underpin those that if you've not had the voice at the table then you become resentful of accepting it because you've not been part of the formulation which could lead to fragmentation within the system and we've seen this um across the board in these conversations, other elements that we begin to see it in. And again, this is one of the larger concerns that's emerging for the global AI ecosystem is on data flows and data governance. So AI depends on data. That's the water that it, you know, feeds it, that nourishes it. That, and increasingly countries, countries are aware of that. They're also aware of how, um, you know, data can be used but they're also worried about it being exploited so it's sort of turning more to sort of data sovereignty mm. sort of positions where and that doesn't in the end help those countries because data also gains more value more pertinence the more it's shared the more it's used the more insights that can be derived of that through combining it with other data so it will eventually both create fragmentation between the countries also that's not necessarily towards so the benefits of those countries this is where we go back to thinking about the tech diplomacy mm. element of understanding that where all these questions sit within not just domestic policy or not just within industrial policy but within your foreign policy question and how to enable you know your voice at the table in these conversations be part of the governance approaches on it even if your infrastructure isn't quite there yet. And do we see the United Nations, for example, uh, pulling some of these uh, smaller countries into conversations? How does how does the global picture on some of these conversations play out? Yeah, I mean, we've seen it's obviously it's been interesting where these have emerged. So, I mean, some of the dominant conversations of this, whilst the 
UN has in different elements of ICT, they've had their group of government experts and the open-ended working group. So the group of government experts has always been a much narrower group of if you want more advanced nations with the technology. The open-ended working group is much wider. And to some extent that's formed, and this is across cyber and across other elements of uh, the ICT system, it forms a sort of knowledge gap because of those in the, the uh, group of government experts sort of have a different set of knowledge of what's going on in the open-ended working group and that's also represented by the diplomats of the longevity of the diplomats in that space. So there's a little bit of a bifurcated system in that and although there's wider forums like the Internet Governance Forum which is multi-stakeholder has a lot more civil society involvement has worked a lot more to get those voices at the table um, there's still not uh, full access to all countries on this. And then on the other side, specifically things like um, AI, they're sort of dominated by organizations like the OECD, mm. which naturally, of course, you know, we've got sort of G7, OECD, that again, the advanced nations that have uh, dominated uh, the formation of principles. Now, the OECD is from the Global Partnership of AI. And and that the intention of that is to bring more countries into that. So countries like Senegal have joined the global partnership of AI. But there is a sort of admissions process and it's not always that accessible to countries to be able to join it. So it'll be limited to see what the influence of that remains to be without creating sort of more accessibility or getting more people at the table. Mm. So one international activity that people in the UK will know a lot about um, was the, the UK bringing the community together last November for uh, an AI safety summit. How far do you think that summit has sort of advanced the, the, the regulation and policy discussion? I think it was um, an interesting point. It was a key point symbolically to some extent and I think it's very much again the focus was narrowed it's very much it's narrowed AI safety which is sort of quite a small nugget in the world or in the overall world of AI I think there were some key intentions behind it that needed to be addressed uh, such as being able to have a conversation with some representation of China to try and bridge uh, you know, some of the differences that have been emerging between, you know, the US-China uh, rivalries as part of why the UK uh, had such an important role in it. I think it was key in the multi-stakeholder element of it, making sure that the companies, the creators, the entrepreneurs of AI were be able to come together and sit side by side at the with the organisations um, and with, you know, in global institutions with the diplomats and have these conversations. Sadly, I was not invited to be at the table. So me me neither, me neither. <laughs> exactly what went down. And we're only beginning to see some of the reports come out of it. So it's only uh, last week the NCSC sort of published their report on um, AI and uh, cyber and risks that they could be accelerated. But from what I understand, there were some frank conversations. I think the action points out of it are yet to be seen and to whether that is genuinely translated. I mean, there's supposed to be a mini summit 
in a career coming up and whether that's genuinely translated into action or the formation of new partnerships, I think will still get to be seen. But symbolically important, will it have been, will we look back and say it was just another big talking shop? I'm not sure we can judge that yet. Very, uh, very diplomatically put. We'll have to <laughs> wait until we can look back at it. Uh, well, listen, we're coming towards the end, but I wanted to ask you one more question. So it's February 2024 now. What would you say are the next steps for policymakers in this AI space, UK, international? And, and if they got it right over the next couple of years, what would that then look like? So what needs to be done? I think we need to look at have two clear vision of what we want to see and what we don't want to see like what do we not want it to look like and i think having that like sometimes i don't think we stop and think Mm. about that do we want to what do we not want to see we don't want to see fragmentation between um regulations so in a kind of regulatory chaos we don't want to see innovation being contracted we don't want to see um that there's huge disparities in access so i think we've got to you know i think if we can think of that vision of what we don't want to see mm. then we can already we've got the eu ai act we've got regulation in america coming into to play like all those how are those going to work together we're going to have you know the fight between dominance my real concern and that i'm beginning to uh, voice more and more is that i feel that the next what we could call AI winter, what could, so, you know, AI went through a growth phase, theoretically, it took a while for the actual technology to catch up with what they were able to do. Now we have the technology. My concern is that actually the geopolitics behind facilitating this, and that could be regulatory chaos, that could be the actual supply of components to enable it to grow the accessibility bravery relies on huge amounts of power and is it sustainable can we build this sustainable system you know that or we only get to get these half elements of it and we're going to have a bigger have and have not so i think having that picture of what we don't want it to be and then thinking back of where do we need to make sure that you know those building blocks the data flows the sustainability which hasn't been put into the eu ai act so there's sort of been elements of thinking a bit open source where the risk are if the cyber physical systems or song are we making sure that that's all in place and we're not 2040 doesn't look like a dry wasteland without enough power and you know a very small nugget of workforce using AI-enabled tools, leaving mm. other elements out of the labour force. What do we not want the picture to look like? Then let's build the different picture. Mm. Fascinating stuff. We could discuss this all day, but unfortunately we have run out of time. So, uh, Melanie Garson, thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Melanie Garson, Cyber Policy and Tech Geopolitics Lead at the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change and an Associate Professor in International Conflict Resolution and International Security at University College London. 
On the 28th of February 2024, the Foundation for Science and Technology will be holding an event entitled Can AI Be Regulated and If So, How? Details of that event, which is free to attend in person or online, can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on the website are details of all our other events, our journal and all previous editions of this podcast. Until the next time, goodbye. <laughs>